This is Bragg, the son of Balan, and you're listening to Light the Beacons, a Lotro podcast. Welcome to the world of Middle-earth. are lit. Lotro calls for aid. And Brog shall answer. Amandine is aflame. Somewhere in the foothills of Farinorian, hope is kindled once again. Welcome back to the resurgent Light the Beacons, the only Lotro podcast that dares to say three could be a trend, but four is a sacred institution that will live forever in the MMORPG Halls of Fame. This is episode number 104, and I am your host, Brag of the Lonely Mountain, the Sultan of Shieldswipe, the Earl of Agro, Redeemer of the Deep, and Dwarf of Ill Repute. I am broadcasting live from temporary LTB MEWHQ, far from Ferrothelion, on the bridge to Framsburg. Framsburg? Really? Framsburg? Is that like Otisburg? It's just a little itty-bitty place. Um, so I'm on hiatus from quarantine in Moria. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, it was tough being salted away in Moria. Obviously, there's a lot of room to roam there. But uh, still, nothing but you and the Globsnaga keeping each other company. And uh, <clears throat> not no female companionship, uh, you know, no hobbits, no men really to speak of. Not even, uh, you know, not even elves. I, I, I might have even missed a few elves here and there thrown in just for funsies. So what happened was the mayor of Langflood is, Langflood is opening things back up a little bit. Maybe, you know, phasing back in, uh, you know, as long as you keep at least six feet away from all mobs. So range DPS only. Of course, that's not the best way to go for a guard. It's slowing things down considerably. You know, basically, I've got, uh, uh, you know, I've got my bow skill, which is let fly, and then I've got fray the edge, uh, which is my aggro skill, ranged aggro skill, and fray the edge doesn't do any damage, so, you know, I, I think it's, uh, it's my edges that are getting a little frayed about now, if you know what I mean, but um, be that as it may, uh, it's nice to be out and about. And be in a new area of Middle Earth on the map. That is just always exciting to watch the world uh, expand and be explored. And there is, don't get me wrong, there is some great landscape here, some great views. So I'm standing on the Broken Bridge uh, that is just west of, I think it's called Hithseld. Still getting used to some of the names uh, of the new locations. Hithseld in northern wells of Langflood and uh, I am looking at the ruins off to the east there's a huge wall of rock which extends to the north and the northwest Um, I can see a waterfall making several uh, 
several steps down to a ravine where a river flows beneath my feet. This bridge has been sundered at some point in time over the ages since it was built. Uh, basically only the, um, the anchor rocks on either side of the ravine uh, and nothing in the middle. So I'm watching the river. The, the, the waterfall looks really cool because the water is seems to be almost flowing in slow motion. I guess it's far enough away that it looks like new waterfall tech to me. It looks like they've uh, maybe developed um, some new tech for the waterfall because it's uh, pretty neat looking. Um, it's, it's falling almost in slow motion as I look basically from this distance. And then the water, uh, the river below in the ravine is flowing back and forth in different currents. And I can see it kind of uh, pouring past my feet. As I look away to the west, I see the ruins of Framsburg stretching out before me, which is next on my exploration list. Um, to the northwest, there's some giant, looks like dwarven structures up in the hills uh, that look tantalizing, exciting, tantalizingly exciting to explore. A pretty significant settlement up there. And I'm guessing uh, f the waterfall is framing Mount Gundabad in the far distant north. I can just see it peeking over the top in the mountains. Um, unless it's a bigger mountain that's hidden by the mists that are surrounding this valley. And that is definitely... Something I have not seen in other areas of uh, the Lotro map is they seem to have developed this low-hanging mist, which is uh, sitting over the valley. Um, to the south, I can see the wooden replacement bridge, which stretches across the canyon. Uh, in true work fashion, they seem to be hanging some bodies from ropes over the course of the span. And uh, you know, have some torn kind of fabrics and so forth hanging along. Uh, yeah, maybe some elephant tusks, some mumak tusks decorating the different stanchions on the sides. So, but it, you know, it's orc construction. So how great can it be? And, uh, I've got to see if I can get a quick snapshot of this. I've got to take a picture of this. Let me turn around without falling off the bridge, if that's possible. And, uh, I remove my graphics for a second and, um, we'll catch We'll see if I include this screen print. It's not the best screen print, but but the awesome thing is that there's a moose on the side of the ravine, and he is literally vertical on the rock. <laughs> literally vertical, standing on the side of the ravine. It's spider moose, I think, crawling up the side of the ravine. So uh, if, if that screenshot comes out, I'm going to include that with the podcast so you can guys can see spider moose. Uh, that may be the name of the podcast. I don't know. I'm thinking about it. I'll think about that one. But Spider Moose would be a good podcast name, don't you think? And what is that? Some kind of graphic issue. Okay. So uh, I'll bring back my mini map. Um, you know, past the uh, Orc Bridge to the south, the ravine descends into the mists. There are some other structures up in the hills. Uh, and uh, it's beautiful countryside. Uh, I can say it's a little bit of a pain to navigate. Uh, you know, whenever you get into this country that's not wide open, you know, plains where you can run A to B. Uh, you know, I'm pursuing a, a man of Rohan who's uh, exploring the history of his race that uh, passed through this valley at one point in time and settled here at least for a short term. And, um, you know, it's hard to picture a, a race of men so dedicated to... Uh, 
you know, to horse riding, uh, living in this kind of environment because it is not easy to navigate. Um, not a lot of straight lines between A and B. You do a little better as the Crabane flies. But, uh, of course, the geography, as always, is beautiful. And it's nice to see the world map exploring in, uh, you know, ways that are different. So, uh, this episode, I'm not going to delve overly deeply into the, uh, to the expansion and the geography of Lang Flood. I'm going to leave that to a future episode when I've explored a bit more of that, uh, of that expansion. I'd say I'm only about maybe halfway through the content as best as I can tell right now. Um, it's not a ton, but I've only had a couple days where I've been able to play more than a bit. So that is exciting. Uh, we've got a lot of stuff to cover, and uh, I've been up to a lot of stuff and nonsense of late. So I'm going to try to return to some more actually helpful content, maybe something that actually has Lotro gameplay involved. And um, if we're going to do that, we better move on to our next beacon. Elenok. So in the last episode, Grima offended literally everyone, which is the default target audience for the brand of invective that he tends to spew. I'm really not sure how he manages to repeatedly take control of the podcast around this time of year, but it is embarrassing and uh, would terminate his employment. Uh, but he keeps reminding me he's not a W-2. And he apparently acquired some compromising photographs of me that I would prefer not to become public. Uh, plus, he occasionally comes up with some clever zingers where he pretends not to like me. It's, it's all really rather endearing. So I'll tolerate his occasional annual outbursts for now. And for that, I'd like to express a sincerely heartfelt sorry. Um, you know... I don't have a big corporation. I'm also the CEO as well as the HR group. And um, so it's you have to handle these things delicately. I don't like letting the employees go, um, especially in this time of year. So let's move on to viewer comments. We had none. So let's move on to iTunes reviews. And we will check the leaderboard. The last review of the podcast was left by FunkyUs081 on April 5th of 2019, over a year ago, and they currently have our high score. If you have not left an iTunes review out and you are a viewer, you know you're not viewers, but if you are one, what are you waiting for? Get out there and leave me an iTunes review at some point in time. That'd be great. If you want to rejoin this ramshackle Mumakil conga line, please leave a random number of stars in iTunes or Google Play. Or, alternatively, if you're a little shy, you can breathe in the early morning dew glistening from a thrush's wings on Durin's day and then exhale it onto a burnished mithril plate. The resulting fog pattern will reveal your thoughts to me. Or you could just tweet or me. You know, whatevs. Uh, viewer feedback. None. No feedback. Sorry, Grandma. You uh, apparently have zero fans. From Twitter, um, I just would like to make a, a quick statement. Nothing is coming to mind that stands out um, apart from the whole. Holistically, uh, I think the community is a small but bright light in the darkness that are sheltering in place. Um, that is generally kind, supportive, and by turns amusing. And for all those moments where you gave me a break and let me think about the lighter side and took my mind off things, I want us to say a sincere thank you to all of you. Community Spotlight. Uh, I wanted to put a highlight on uh, someone I think I've mentioned in the past. Uh, a, a fellow named Gin. 
spelled G-H-Y-N-N, that brightly packaged little hobbit bundle. If you haven't found his YouTube channel out there yet, I do recommend you go out there and subscribe to it ASAP. Um, Gin's YouTube channel, along with maybe Dot, Dottie's Lotro guides, continue to be one of the most current and detailed Lotro resources out there for uh, players interesting in you know maybe more advanced views of the game. Uh, he by turns takes a look at reviews, release notes, Palantir previews, uh, raid mechanics and run-throughs, and generally has uh, it, it, even uh, tips and tricks on how to play your class well. And uh, it's always good content. It's always worth seeing. Do check out Gin, giving him a shout out. Uh, the forums, believe it or not, I actually went out to the forums for the first time in a long time. And uh, there was a bit of a kerfluffle out there. Um, I was interested in seeing what the feedback was on the, um, on the release of the update. And there was a bit of a kerfuffle. Um, the biggest issue that people seem to be going off about, if you've made it into the Wells of Langford, you've probably experienced this already. Um, there are mounted foes, uh, mounted war riders in the Langflood, especially in the southern regions, uh, which behave like mounted combat, mo co mounted combat mobs, which basically means instead of running up to you and attacking you from short distances or from range, you know, if they stayed in place as a ranged mob, um, you know, that's uh, understandable as well. They act like mounted combat mobs. So once they aggro on you, they, they run in large circles uh, up and down the landscape, um, aggroing everything around them and basically doing strafing runs on your position. Uh, now, this would be okay if you could use mounted combat to take them down as you would in Rohan or in Gondor or even up to releases as recently as Mordor. I would use mounted combat in some circumstances, uh, you know, fairly effectively. But mounted combat, as most of you know, has not aged well. <laughs> they have not scaled um, the amount of damage that your war steed can take uh, while you're riding around the landscape before you get dismounted. So basically, every attack by these mounted mobs uh, on your war steed uh, produces a dismount uh, immediately. So um, if you're dismounted and you're on your feet, then you can't run after the mounted mob, which is running 100 yards down the way. So you have to wait for them to come back and then maybe get in one attack or two attacks if you're lucky as they pass. If you're a ranged class, of course, you can use your ranged skills to take down the mobs as they're doing their strafing runs. But if you're, unfortunately, a guard or a cappy or uh, even uh, you know a thief or a champion, you have limited range skills available to you. And so you have to sit there and wait for them to come back or try to ride up to them. They knock you off your horse again. They they run away. They come back. And burning down a mob using one attack every time they do a, a pass every 20 or 30 seconds takes forever. And uh, they're aggroing other mobs on the landscape as well at the same time. Um, they're really hard to avoid because they're covering large distances and short amounts of time. So basically, even if you're just riding on your horse and trying to avoid the mobs, you can still aggro them. So this is a frustrating experience and uh, one the devs uh, quickly let us know was not intentional. Um, they released a patch this morning where the behavior was corrected and they will be now behaving like uh, regular combat mobs running up to you and attacking you like normal so that you can take them down with your standard attacks. Uh, of course, the interesting thing that came out of the discussion from this uh, was people complaining that the fact that mounted combat had not been scaled in so long that this uh, turn of events had taken place. 
and um, you know there were a lot of people. Made of Lions was like, look, you know, we mounted combat's been left behind. It's been made clear to us that people don't like it, and there were a lot of people in the forums that piped up and said, who said, you know. We don't like mounted combat. I know there are a lot of people that don't like it, but there are a lot of people that do. And our preference would be that you actually scaled our morale and the DPS on our attacks so that it's relevant when it's appropriate. And Maid of Loyans acted like that was a big revelation, like he didn't think there was a single person in the in the player base that liked mounted combat. Um, he's like, oh, I didn't know so many people actually you know, didn't mind mounted combat. Maybe this is something we could consider going forward. That to me speaks to kind of a you know a vacuum in the dialogue that should be occurring between the devs and the players. Uh, I know a lot of people complain about mounted combat and hate it and talk about how broken it is and how it never works for them. But I think a lot of people have different experiences. You know, in my experience, I actually enjoy mounted combat in Rohan. I've gotten used to it. I know how to do it. Um, I think it is you know the most important thing. Faster to burn down mobs in certain regions using your war steed than it is on foot, especially if I'm a guard. You know, some classes have better DPS on their war steed than others. Um, you know, if you're a hunter, you probably, you know, well, first of all, you you can range everything from your war steed just as well as you can on foot. And you're doing such massive DPS, it doesn't matter either way. But, you know, it's very class dependent. Um, you know, your mileage may vary. Um, I enjoy mounted combat. Uh, I, I wouldn't mind taking on the mounted mobs, in the wells of Langflood uh, on my mount, if I wasn't dismounted every single time one attacked me, that's an annoying experience. Um, so I think it shows that the devs are a bit out of touch, that they believe everybody believes that mounted combat is so broken that it's never worth using. I actually think it wouldn't take that much time uh, to produce a usable format for mounted combat and, and introduce updates that would make it viable under certain circumstances. I know it's never going to be balanced and fine-tuned and perfected, but I think it could be workable with just a short amount of uh, effort. So maybe that's what will come out of this experience. Oh, and by the way, here's a tip and trick that I heard from World Chat. Uh, if you go into your... If you have a medium trait line in your Warsteed or are willing to respect to one... Uh, there's a skill about halfway down the tree called Sacrifice, which allows you to take the damage instead of your Warsteed when it's pressed, which will keep you from being dismounted. Now, I didn't want to go to the trouble of respecting all my characters to use this skill. If I have a medium steed and I have the Sacrifice skill already, I'll use it. But um, it certainly is something that will help you avoid this phenomena and maybe make for a, a more fun game experience in that area. Of course, that behavior's already been corrected on Wells of Langflood uh, patch this morning, so may or may not be necessary. But just something to keep in mind going forward. So that was uh, what was going on out on the forums. Unusual for me to have a forums update. Uh, let's move on to this week's action-packed episode. We are going to talk a little bit about what we've been doing in game these past few weeks. I know, crazy, right? Uh, I'm going to talk about the producer's letter since it's May, and that's, you know, usually something we do by now. And I'm going to have a section of what I call Hitbolt Revisited, Revisited. And if we want to have time for that, we better get moving with our third beacon. We are at the beacon of Nardal. This day, uh, this week, um, this month in gaming and or other Tokyo news. 
So I think I mentioned previously I've been actually trying to finish Bioshock on the PS3. You know, my my Team Dwarf walked up to me today and said, Dad, you know that we've got uh, Bioshock uh, remastered on the PS4. I was like, yeah, but my saved game is on the PS3. I just want to finish it there and be done with it. (laughs) So it's starting to accelerate towards a conclusion. I think with maybe two more nights of gameplay, uh, I can get to the ending unless I run upon some kind of really tough final fight that uh, stymies me. Uh, but I, you know, have been reviewing some tips and tricks and doing a little better and getting a little more powerful. And um, it's, I don't know if I'm interested in Bioshock 2. I may be more interested in Bioshock 3, which I heard is an open game and which I own because I bought, at one point for real cheap, I bought a Bioshock bundle, I think. Um, but I have, I'm definitely going to take a, day, a break from it and do something else and maybe consider coming back to it down the line. Uh, but it's been a good experience finishing Bioshock, and uh, it is, uh, you know, definitely cool if you're into the steampunk, underwater, creepy environment, etc., etc., etc. I also, just for funsies, to try something a little more lighthearted, uh, I took a game out of my Steam library called Flipping Death that I've been playing. And uh, Flipping Death is uh, a fairly simplistic game where basically you die and you uh, are drafted to replace the Grim Reaper who's on vacation or hiatus as a temporary stand-in Grim Reaper. So you're walking the underworld, meeting corpses and zombies, and you can flip back into the real world. And uh, basically... um, there are mirror images on the of the game in re, in the real world and in the underworld, and you can flip back and forth between the two. And there are characters on each side. Sometimes you can animate a character in the real world by finding its counterpart in the underworld, and each character you animate has a different skill or ability which enables them to interact with the environment around them. So, basically, you have to solve puzzles by you know. Uh, taking over these people's personas and then moving them into doing something on the map that unlocks something else and you basically proceed along that way until you solve each level. Um, The gameplay itself I find a little frustrating because what they're asking you to do is a bit obscure and it can cause a lot of kind of, you know, just kind of uh, flailing around trying to figure out what you're supposed to do next uh, but what I do really like about it is the art style which is unique it's kind of a 2d slash 3d world it's a 2d world with 3d elements in it and the characters are very funny the dialogue is funny and the art style is very whimsical uh, so I'm enjoying that part of it I just don't know if the gameplay is good enough for me to want to finish it all the way to the end but for now I'm working my way through it a little bit at a time now and again when I want to break Uh, from something as intense as Bioshock. Um, Believe it or not, I did go out recently and buy another Humble Bundle. Yes, I paid like $15 for, I don't know, like 20 games. Uh, You know, I said I would not fall for this again, right? I've got, I don't know, 150 games in my Steam library, maybe close to 200 at this point, I'm not sure. Um, But... It turned out to be a COVID release bundle, so they got me again. So money for the bundle goes, a significant portion of it goes to COVID charities. And there were a few games on it that I had my eye on for some time that I thought about trying, such as The Witness, uh, Worms Revolution, and Super Hot, among others. 
Uh, so there are a few interesting titles on there that I thought might be worthwhile, and it was for a good cause, so what the heck. Teen Dwarfs continue to push forward with Animal Crossing. It seems to be the game of the quarantine for them. Uh, from a movies and TV perspective, I have now completed uh, The Witcher and I caught up on The Witcher, Better Call Saul, Ozark Season 4, uh, Disney Movie Onward, and the series Flight of the Concords recently, which I'd never watched previously. I uh, was very entertained by the Flight of the Concords series uh, that was available. And I'm in progress on my way through uh, Schitt's Creek, which uh, is getting better and better as uh, the series goes on. I'm starting to enjoy that quite a bit. It's a nice, lighthearted fare as well. And I'm working my way through the latest season of West Wing. From a book perspective, I'm reading the Sandman graphic novel finally, the original one. I'm about halfway through it, enjoying that very much as well. It's uh, very famous for being one of the more uh, one of the more famous graphic novels out there from an influential kind of comic book nerd, um, you know, uh, cult classic perspective. So enough of that garbage. What's been going on in Lotro? Well, Bragg obviously is level one thirty. He's been a little lazy. He's got decent gear, but it could be better with a little effort. Uh, I can do tier two group, con group content with it. Haven't really tried group T3 stuff. Um, given all the time I've been raiding on the legendary servers, I feel a little out of practice tanking. So tried to do a few things this week. Ran a featured instance uh, for the Quays of Harland, uh, which was fun. And also um, did a three-man filth well. Uh, just on tier one, I hadn't run the filth well aside from on solo, so I wanted to see what some of the mechanics were from tier one before I tried anything harder. And the other two people that were doing it, you know, were still working on their characters as well and had never done it in a three man either. So it was kind of a good circumstance that we figured it out together. And we died once or twice on the boss until we kind of figured out a good pattern for the bridges that collapse and get dissolved. Uh, but we uh, we ended up triumphant, so that was exciting. Uh, it's fun to try a new instance um, in group that you haven't done before and uh, be successful with it. Um, pretty sure, again, as I mentioned, I could I could do it on tier two, tier three with with a good group around me. I'm pretty sure I could do as well. Uh, but you know, I don't have any Remerchant gear or anything from that you get out of some of the more advanced six man instances yet. So still working on it, upgrading a little bit at a time, a piece here, a piece there, essence here, essence there. There's just a between jewelry and armor and essences and the runes on your allies and new shields, etc., etc., etc. It's just a lot. Uh, what else? I heard the Spring Festival mount on Bragg as usual. Uh, did a few solo instances for Weekly Embers out of Minas Morgul. And... Um, I've been getting a few upgrade pieces for my build from the Langfoot expansion. So, um, you know, kind of, like I said, I don't have top-end gear coming out of Minas Morgul, but some stuff that I had worked and grinded instances and, you know, weeklies and embers for and all that. And what I'm finding is, you know, just some of the, a, a few of the quest drops along the way are improving some of my gear, especially if you go up um, you may have discovered already there's two ways to approach the expansion. One is coming through the Bjorning story from the south, from the Vales of Anduin. And the other is starting out of Scarhold, uh, starting the Trials of the Dwarf storyline, which brings you in through the northern end of the zone, which is kind of interesting. Um, 
So right now I've done half of the Bjorning storyline and half of the Dwarf storyline and they're kind of meeting in the middle. I'm looking to see if there's a lot of overlap where I can get two-for-ones on some of the quests, but really haven't hit that many yet. So, um, But if you do the Trials of the Dwarf storyline of Scarhold, there are, you know, get out your Stairmaster because they make you run up and down the steps of Scarhold like four or five times to finish off the quests in there, which is a pain, but... You know, good thing I spent all that time learning the path around Scarhold by heart, <laughs> which took a little while to get under my belt. But um, before you even leave Scarhold, you can get like three pieces of gear from that storyline that maybe, you know, if you don't have top-end gear at a Minas Morgul, might be upgrades for you and that are worth doing. So I recommend starting on the northern end uh, for those gear upgrades. The other thing that occurred to me as I was in Scarhold and I was looking at some of the quests I had in my quest log is whatever happened to the Howling Pit out of Yarnfast? Remember the Howling Pit, the instance that you could get uh, kind of a nondescript piece of jewelry that uh, basically had no stats on it? <laughs> and everyone's wondering, oh, I bet when Minas Morgul comes out there'll be an ability to upgrade this? Well, as far as I know, they haven't done anything with that, so what are they waiting for? Um... A couple of my characters never finished that instance. It was pretty hard at the time, uh, but could probably do so now without much trouble. So, uh, wondering if it's worth going back and getting that piece of jewelry. Will they ever do anything with it? Or are they just going to leave another dangling plot point that they never close out? So, my mini is also 130s, finished all the deeds of Minas Morgul, except maybe a couple Slayer deeds, I think. Uh, it's been doing some of the weeklies. Uh, run. It's been running instances and getting all the extra quests on the side for the dailies at Minas Morgul, doing the scourge runs, etc. And she's in a good place. I've healed a couple, um, you know, a couple Minas Morgul instances with her, as well as uh, doing some of the Reiko runs that uh, are called out. So, if you haven't been doing Reiko Tier One, it's a pretty easy way. You know, you need a decent group, but you know. So I have had some groups that have failed at it, but for the most part, you're going to get through it pretty easily. Uh, if you have a decent group, you can six-man it. And with six-man doing the Reiko Tier 1, you can get about um, 20 coins of Minasithil, which in After Battle Minas Tirith, you can trade in still for um, Scrolls of Empowerment or uh, Amphalas Crystals of uh, Starlight Crystals. So with 20 uh, coins of Minasithil from one run, which can take about, you know, literally 10 minutes or less, depending on how organized you are, um, you can get either six or seven, about six scrolls of empowerment or three crystals on a scroll in one run. So I've been trying to look out for those and use those to polish off crystals for some of my alts that uh, have not fully maxed out their tunes. Uh, right now I'm using it for crystals because I think the scrolls of empowerment are going to get easier to get. There are already some changes in the game that look like they're making it easier to get. I did notice the other day that um, at the Quartermaster in Minas Morgul, there was an ability to trade in embers for scrolls of empowerment. And... Um, the Scrolls of Empowerment that will get your LI legacy up to like level, I want to say 65, something along those lines, were like a fraction of the cost of the ones that will get your LI from level 66 to 83. So I forget what the cutoff point is, but the, the point is that they're making it easier for you to get the Scrolls of Empowerment 
to get your legacies up to kind of a you know a decent level and then they kick in the more expensive ones which are required to kind of polish it off to the top level so that's one nice move you know one of the things they want to address is the li grind in the coming year based on the producer's letter so that's already one nice step that'll help people do a little bit of catching up uh, if you haven't seen that yet uh, go check it out because i think the lower level scrolls are only like a hundred embers a piece so you can get a you know a decent amount of those pretty quickly uh to bring yourself you know at least uh up to a you know a moderate level of competency uh my cappy is level 122 is next on the leveling grinder maybe close to 123 and is now transitioned from the veils into my third character in mortar besieged uh, my lore master languishing at 120, Berg 120 doing nothing, Hunter 119 doing nothing. My Bjorning is level 109 and has been doing a few Dingarth quests out of Mordor and has just moved on to Lingris. So slowly making my way through the Mordor content. I think the Mordor content is a nice change of pace from the stuff we've done over the last year or two. Um, it's far enough in my rearview mirror for the characters that I've put through it that uh, I'm actually looking forward to seeing how the Bjorning does there and uh, re-experiencing some of that stuff I haven't tried in a while. My champ is level 76 doing nothing. RK is level 63. I actually did a few Mori epic quests with him over the last two weeks and he is approaching the skirms in the epic uh, epic storyline. Level 63 so a bit over leveled but still you know relevant for moria quests and gosh there's so many deeds you can get done for virtues in moria it's worth uh you know parking someone there and and just doing um uh doing instances to try to grind out some of your virtues until you're up to speed with your current level uh, my warden is level 43 no recent uh movement high elf warden sitting at level 20 with nothing going on over on the legendary servers on anor um <clears throat> My Cappy is is completed Roham Estimate, including all hit bold and roll Rohan deeds. Has moved on uh, and become Kindred in uh, Wildermore. Is very close to Kindred and the survivors of Wildermore, which is a bit of a grind doing dailies. Um, so basically, even with rep accelerators, you only get I think it's five thousand rep per day with the five quests you can get out of the survivors of Wildermore. So you've got to be at it for about a good two weeks or so uh, every day, if you if you do it every day, uh, to get up to kin, kindred and the excuse me and the survivors of Wildemore. Um, so I've been doing uh, those dailies as well as the warbands, hoping to grind out warband tokens. Uh, you need thirty to get the the gold pocket upgrade from Wildemore to kind of uh, which is. The best thing you can get out of the Wildemore expansion, basically, from a gear standpoint. Um, so you need 30 tokens from Warbands. I've been on runs where you get every Warband on the map. There's like 12 of them, and I've gotten zero tokens. What a waste of time. And then there's other runs where you get four or five. So it's really a crapshoot. Uh, I think I've got 25 Warband tokens on my captain, so I need maybe... Hopefully two runs will do it if I'm lucky. Uh, I'll have enough for the pocket upgrade. I need two more days of dailies to get to Kindred on Survivor. So, um, you know, but it's it's only a mild incentive, to be frank with you. You know, I've got the gold tomb uh, for pocket that you can get out of the resource instances and hit bold. Uh, so, 
there is one of the pocket upgrades from Wildemore that's gold that's got uh, a nice um, a nice heel buff that uh, I, I would probably use in my blue line. So all this work is for one piece of jewelry that I'll use only when I'm in blue line in my cappy probably. <laughs> but what are you going to do? Um, you know, that's, that's the character I'm raiding with. So I am looking to... You know, I'm not going crazy over it, but I'm looking to try to upgrade him whenever I can to try to help out the team. I'm such a team player. Um, I also earned the Gift of the Mirrors on my uh, Cappy. If you guys all know about the Gift of the Mirrors, I'm sure it was irrelevant when um, the Rohan uh, expansion came out. There was a horse that appeared in Archit, and if you followed the quest line up to Hankstacia's farm and did a bunch of daily quests there, at least one of each type of quest, you could in a, you could earn a heal skill for your war steed called the Gift of the Mirrors. It wasn't a big heal, but it's enough to like get you over the top in a fight where it's cl you're close to being dismounted, um, you know, which happens fairly frequently. There aren't a lot of, you know, depending on what class you're on, there aren't a lot of healing skills on war steeds, um, or depending on what line you're running. So it's nice to have. So I grounded out both simultaneously with my Cappy and my Elam uh, so that they both have it. You know, I've got all of the Westum net of Rohan coming up. And uh, it is nice to have in your pocket once you once you get it done. Uh, if you've never done all those quests, um, it, you know I hadn't done them in a while, so I didn't mind revisiting some of them. Some of them are still a pain in the neck, but um, but most of them are you know not that bad. So on the legendary server, our raid team leader left, which is uh, sad. But we uh, we're hoping to get a we have a temp replacement. We're hoping to get a permanent replacement. Um, we completed uh, Kalbak in the Isengard Wings on Tier 2, uh, which was the first that we had done that. That was fun. Um, after running some Isengard instances, we usually do try to do a Barrett Golder Blitz run. Uh, you know, get up to the top and kill the lieutenant, you know, as quickly as possible. You know, with it's, it's a pretty easy run at this point with uh, the gear that our folks have. We can overpower it. And there's a chance for a first stage symbol if you once you take down the lieutenant, but uh, we've been really unlucky. I think the last four or five runs we did, we got like zero first stage symbol, so that's uh, unfortunate. You would think for doing the entire thing, even I know it's only tier one, but if you do the whole thing with twelve people, you would think you there'd be enough of a chance that you one person might get a first stage symbol more than one out of every six or seven runs. You know, it's like six or seven hours for twelve people. And uh, zero first stage symbols. So uh, I think that's a little low, in my opinion. My lore master on the legendary server has completed Hipbold and uh, got geared from my captain who bought him his Hipbold gear since he had finished it. Uh, it's got some of the gold bracelets with the upgrades from the Erebor instances. Should be pretty solid for raiding now. Uh, I was going to skip Wildermore from him, but nope. Decided to work on the Kindred Rep. Uh, just by following the epic line up there and doing some easy local quests along the way in order to um, get the four law port, which I was looking for. And then, uh, and maybe I, th I think there's one other, I think there's a sword that would be an upgrade for me once I get to Kindred as well up there. So something to work on. Um, my Berg on the legendary server is level 36. He was messing around in even dim in the North Downs and trying to determine the best path forward. Um, I tried to do a Numinos quest because uh, this is my um, stout axe. 
And he's got a cultist's racial deed where he's got to kill, I don't know, 100 cultists, which include the Angmorum that you can find in Anuminas. But at level 36, the Anuminas mobs are a grind. And when you go over to the docks, which is the easiest place to farm those guys, they come in bunches of like three or sometimes six if you're not careful. Uh, you know, I'm a thief, so I'm handling it or hipsing when I need to, but it's just a little slow and a little dangerous. So I think I'm going to go back to the back story for a bit and maybe try to revisit Anuminas when I'm in my, my level, uh, level 40s. So I decided to be wacky and go level in the troll shaws. Haven't done that zone in a while. Um, normally I go through the dim, but I've done it too many times in a row. It's nice to have options to branch out. So I'm leveling in the troll shaws, and uh, yeah, hopefully that guy will be big enough to do some Angmar content uh, pretty soon, or at least some Numinous runs if people call for him. What's other Tolkien news? Uh, not much going on right now. There's some online seminars and classes like usual. Um, I did see uh, the OneRing.net torn doing a Middle Earth epic moment bracket. Um, instead of since Mar March Madness is canceled, they were trying to trace out like events in the Lord of the Rings movies um, and ranking them against each other and trying to predict which ones would win in polls. You know, something like Gandalf faces the Balrog versus. Um, you know, Yowen ripping off her helmet and saying, I am no man, you know, and they let people uh, get in and vote for what their most epic, uh, you know, moments of the series are. So it was kind of fun to watch. Uh, they, they did a draft where each of them picked like, uh, so 64, I think there were eight of them. So each of them got to pick like eight moments from the books. And, uh, you know, they were basically, um, you know, facing off against each other to see who could get the most wins out of their picks. Uh, so it was kind of inventive. It was fun. Uh, there's a big um, podcast stream or I think a Twitch stream where you can watch them do their draft selections, which was kind of funny. Uh, I think that's quite enough with what I've been doing in game. You couldn't possibly be very interested in that at this point. So let's move on to the next weekend, please. Everlast. 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 Air lass. Okay, that's good. Let's do that. Um, this one's going to run long, I think. I hope you don't mind if I linger longer. Hope you don't mind, viewers. You know you're not viewers. Uh, Everlast, I'd like to talk about Hipbolt Revisited since I've been revisiting it. Now, you may remember that I did a podcast, I don't know, 40, 50 episodes ago called Hipbolt Revisited. So I'm revisiting my revisitation of Hipbolt. I hope that's okay. Um, uh, I don't intend to go to cubing this, but uh, you never know. So this is maybe how many times have I built Hipbolt? I you know probably on Landreville. I'd imagine I've done it on maybe four characters, maybe two or three before the revamp that made it a lot easier, and one or two after. So this is like my fifth or sixth time rebuilding Hipbolt at this point, uh, but only third since the revision. Um, which makes it much easier. You may recall that rep uh, is the coin of the realm now, not the tokens. Uh, the tokens of Hipbolt are easy to come by um, through the dailies, and they don't cost nearly as much to uh, to revitalize a, a section of Hipbolt as they used to. I think maybe it was ten coins, maybe to rebuild the barricades or a fence or uh, you know the mead hall or. Uh, some inhabitants or the farmlands or whatever and now it's like one per you can get like 10 pieces done for each coin so you know if you go if you do a round of dailies which is like five um, quests and get 
uh, five to ten tokens from each, you can bring back like 25 pieces of hit bolt in a day or something, something silly like that. But what happens is the ability to um, to uh, fix the hit bolt things are gated behind having the rep for that area. So if you want to finish all of the revisions for the Sutcrofts, you have to be kindred in the Sutcrofts. You have like 10 quests gated behind friend, 10 behind um, uh, acquaintance, 10 behind ally, and 10 behind kindred, etc. Something along those lines. So you've got to get kindred rep in all the different uh, areas of the East End Met in order to complete the Hippo build. Uh, what was new or what I... I'm not sure. I think it's new. I, or maybe I just forgot it was there. But... Um, the guy that stands in front of the meat hall in Hitbolt now has a barter system where four tokens you can buy rep. So, you know, where you can buy rep accelerators in skirmish camps, you can buy uh, rep tokens basically um, in Hitbolt from the barter outside the meat hall. So, if you don't, if you need more, if you need the next level of rep in order to do more quests in Hitbolt, you can trade your Hitbolt tokens in for the rep and the Sutcrofts until your kindred and then move forward what is that noise there's something crunching near me i don't know what that is i don't know what that is in game there's something crunching near me maybe it's spider moose he's kind he's still hanging out on the side of the wall over there <laughs> okay spider moose spider moose does whatever a spider moose does look out here comes a spider moose. You can picture like webs like in between his antlers and stuff. Sure. Um, so where was I? But but I digress. Okay, so uh, so yes, here's the tip of the week. The vendor outside the meat hall has token trade-ins for rep. Other than that, if you have extra tokens, you can trade them in for silver tokens at the Snowborn vendors. Um, but it takes a lot of silver tokens tokens to get anything that's good or relevant so i would only do that if you're kind of out of other stuff you can buy you can still get a few scrolls of empowerment you know it just takes a couple hundred tokens to do so dailies from hippo can still be worth doing especially if you're if you're also earning other stuff so you can get uh lotro points for building up your rep on all the different regions of the eastern net and you can also work at slayer deeds at the same time um, so if you're getting Lodra points and Rep points and Slayer Deeds done for Virtues as well, they can be worth doing. So I, you know, I love when you can combo stuff like that and get multiple things done at the game at the same time. So for this go-around, I just thought I'd assemble a few tips and tricks I ran into while redoing some of the Hitbolt dailies. Okay, so uh, in Cliving, I think it's Cliving, one of the instances you can get to is called Digalon. Uh, which are these underground caves where there are all these glow-in-the-dark uh, mosses and stuff like that, and frilled lizards. The cavern's filled with frilled lizards. And my tip for you is that the frilled lizards actually count as dragonkind. So there's a deed to slay dragonkind in the Eastern Den, and I always used to do it by going to the caves uh, west of Cliving that have the, you know, the Drake Father, or whatever his name is called, on the top of the mountain. Um, and you go through all the nurseries and you, you get the eggs and you kill the drakes. Um, but some of those drakes have a lot of morale. Well, these frilled lizards inside this instance count for drakes as well. So it's an easy way to grind that slayer deed. Okay, the dress-up quest in Harwick. Uh, this is one of the... I, I, you know, I made a move countless times. I can't believe... Maybe I knew this and forgot it again. You know, I may be the dumbest person ever. 
But what I used to do when I'm doing the dress-up quest in Harwick is you go up to the dummy, uh, the guy standing there with the gear, you see what he's wearing, you try to go find the piece that matches, and you come back and show it to him. And if you're right, um, then he says, yeah, that's a match, and there's you know there's five of them to do, one one for each thing you got to wear. Gloves, head, you know, legs, um, chest, piece, whatever. So I used to go find a piece and come up and show it to the guy, and he'd be like, yes or no, you got the right one, you didn't get the right one. Um, and the way it was a little faster was, you know, the, if you went online, you could see pictures of the gear and look at the map and see where the chests were so you could go and find it. What I didn't know was you can wear more than one piece of gear at a time. <laughs> So you can go out and pick up gear for your hands and your feet and your legs and your chest feet and your helm and go and show them the stuff all at the same time. And if you have three pieces that match, they'll all disappear. You don't have to do one piece at a time, which is what I used to do. So, duh, uh, that's a quick way to get the dress, um, the dress, dress up quest in Harwick done faster. All right, the next... Um, the next instance I wanted to talk about was called Sad Torech, or the rooftop, the rooftops of Sad Torech, or Torek. Sorry, it would be C H Torek. The rooftops of Sad Torek, which is also, I believe, out of Cliving or maybe out of um, Yo Yoworth. I can't remember, but uh, it's one of the instances that you can go into. The rooftops of Torech, Sad. Okay, so. Um, yeah, I was gonna call you know I was gonna call the episode the rooftops of Torich sad until I came up with spider moose but you know what are you gonna do you got to go with what's working so it's the quest where you go in and um, there's a bunch of drakelings around that'll shoot either fire or ice at you and you have to pick up four vases and kill ten mobs and leave like most of these quests um, but I've always noticed that um you know they have all these broken bridges in the center of the uh in the center of the instance and i've noticed when you walk in you look up and there's like there are um scaffolding overhead that looks like you should be able to like walk around up there so i'm like you know i don't think i've ever been up on that scaffolding there has to be a stairwell somewhere in here that allows you to get up there so i'm looking around i'm looking around can't find it can't find it and then as I look up at the tops of the bridges, the arches on the bridges, there are these contact points um, called uh, bridge supports. But you can't reach them. So I'm like, how are you supposed to get to those? So I jump across the bridges. I go all the way to the far side of the map. And I find um, a pile of rubble that you can climb up onto, which allows you to get onto the rooftops on that side. So then you run up uh, to the bridges. And um, if you click on the bridge supports, a railroad tie gets popped down that allows you to get along to the next part of the bridge and then you um, you basically are close enough so that you can jump onto it so it's a little bit of a jumpy puzzle but then you can trigger the next bridge support and a beam pops up and you can walk along that beam and get and basically if you do it six or seven times uh, successfully with all these little jumpies between the two different areas you can get all the way back to the second level on the map whereby you entered and I'm like, wow, this is cool. I've never done this before. I can't believe I've never seen that these railroad tie things pop up here. And I've never been over on this part of the map before. But the thing is, the vases are all gone. Like, you can get all the vases in the front of the, the instance. You never have to go that far back. That's why I never discovered it before. So it's kind of sad. 
um, that they came up with all these mechanics that you could like get through the instance in a cool way and get to the top of the ramp. But it doesn't make any sense unless like the last vase you needed is on that side. Like who's going to go through all that trouble for no reward whatsoever? Well, I did, and I took a picture of it. So if you want a screen print of what it looks like to be on the top of the you know the rooftops of Turetch, sad. Um, let me know, and uh, maybe I'll post it out on the site. It looks like they chickened out on putting one of the pickup items up there, thinking maybe it would be too long for people to go in, and they wouldn't run the instance if it took that much time. Anyway, I have the, tick the picture to prove it if you want. Um, next. Next tip. Never try the Beacon of Yoworth while you're lagging. <laughs> or your blue screen of deathing like 15 times. So... I seriously was trying to climb the Beacon of Yoworth because I actually got pretty good at it at one point in time and I used to somewhat enjoy it. I know people hate it. If you're lagging, it can be terrible. But what's worth is if you get a blue screen of death 15 times on the way up and every time you crash, you come back in and you're you're on you know you're on the bridge still, so you keep going and then you crash to the desktop again and you go one one more beam up, one more jump up, crash again, crash again, literally like 10 or 15 times. And then, this is the kicker. You get up to the top of the beacon. <laughs> and you forgot to pick up the quest from the quest giver on the ground floor. <laughs> so it doesn't count. You have to do it all over again. Uh, sometimes it's a humbling game. Uh, you know, I'd like to attribute it to Alzheimer's, but I just think I'm an idiot. Um, on the plus side, I got the... Um, the, the other one on Yoworth that's a, a people are not big fans of is running out on the the tight wire to uh, pass the crows uh, to, to, to run the supplies across to the guy that's in the watchtower. And I did that on the second try, so I was very impressed with that. It used to be something that was uh, something I'd struggle with a lot. I just, that's just stupid luck. Uh, next, the stupid race you run out of cliving. Don't get me started on this one. You've got to like get on a horse and run through all the gates. And there's one flag. You guys, if you've done this, you probably know it. If you run out and you go to the left and you run up the hill and you're going across the top of the hill and you've got to zig back down, there's one flag from the top of the hill turning back down that doesn't appear right away in your field of view. And if you don't head directly for it, you'll miss it. I've done it like so many times. It's so annoying. You've got to know exactly the angle to turn to get down to the next flag before it appears because you can't see it from the top of the hill. So, And then you fail and you have to start over again. So I've done that too many times now. Um, the one out of uh, cliving where you have to hit the targets from the open field is a little flaky too. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. And then there's the one where you have to herd the wild horse around in the field and he runs through like every mob on the landscape. And uh, that one's really hard unless you realize that all you have to do is put him on follow. And then you can sit there and plink at the guys as you're riding along following the horse. So that's the way to do that one. Um, how about the one where you're outside of Waldem from one of the Sutcroft's quests. And you've got to treat the soldiers that are lying against the trees. And you got to figure out whether they, have a, they need a salve or a uh, bandage or a splint by like what part of the body they're holding. Uh, it's, you know, uh, figuring out which treatment you need is a bit of a pain in the neck. But what's worse is when you're trying to treat the guy and the mobs keep running up and aggroing you every time you try a treatment. 
Um, so what I do is my tip there is just find a soldier that's out of the way from the way the direction the mobs run in and just treat the same guy like six times. Last tip, in general, whenever you get one of those kill, den can kill 10 dudes quests in the public instances, um, there's usually... There's the 16k morale guys, and there's the 32k morale guys. Just skip over all the 32k morale guys, and only kill the 16k guys, and it goes a lot faster. Just be selective in the targets you pick. I don't have to tell you that. You guys are smart. Um, I could give you some bo bonus Wildermore daily quests, but I'm bored just talking about it. So I'm going to skip those for now, and I'm going to move on to the fifth beacon of Minrimon. I hope that you learned something, and I hope that if you ever go back and do Hip Bolt again, you remember some of these tips, or at least remembered how um, much of a grind and how much of a pain in the neck it was last time you actually did it. Um, in Rimon, the original weekly sponsor segment, this show has been brought to you by QVCM, the Miras Shopping Network. From home goods to personal beauty care, whatever you need will be delivered directly to you by one of our Descendant of the Miras delivery specialists. Fastest shipping in the business, not counting FedEx Eagle delivery. Every order over 50 gold will also receive a gift of the Miras with each purchase. Satisfaction guaranteed or you will not be satisfied. So come to QVCM, the premier shopping network for mithril zirconium jewelry. Okay, we are on to the sixth beacon of Kalanhad. I'm I need some ale quaffing here. Pardon me while I wet my whistle. Um, you've waited long enough. It's time for the producer's letter feedback. Um, so, should I read the whole thing? It's not that long. I'll go through most of it. This is what it says. Greetings. I hope everyone is staying safe. Well, thank you. Uh, before looking ahead, I want to thank our players for traveling with us through Middle-earth in 2019. We ventured into the Anvil of Wintersith. Wintersith. How hard is, you know, maybe the guy that made the Anvil of Winterstith actually had a, you know, uh, some sort of speech impediment? What do you think about that idea? Mawith at the Winterstith Anvil. Exploring historic tales in the Vales of Anduin and braved Minas Morgul itself with our expansion, the stout ex dwarves freed themselves from the servitude of Dark Masters. Player virtues saw changes, and we updated the Hobbit Presence system, and we completed the Black Book of Mortar storyline. You know, I have to say, I thought it was a strong year for SSG. Looking at all that stuff in tandem, that's a pretty solid additions to the game in there. Most of that stuff I have enjoyed, um, I thought was worthwhile, and was well done. So, you know, is it their best year ever? No. But I thought it was, you know, a solid way to move forward uh, after, you know, I love the dwarf stuff in the north. From a geography standpoint, the story wasn't always the best. Uh, some of the quests weren't always the best. The instances weren't always the best. Instances probably in the north are the ones I might have had the biggest issue with as far as replayability and fun factor. But uh, but the the uh, geographies, the areas, and the um, and the epic storylines, Black Book storyline, were all worthwhile. And there were some nice feature um, updates to the game as well. So SSG, I'll give you credit. Uh, nice job in 2019. 
Back to the letter. As we play through our recent six-man content and our raid into Shelob's lair, I want to talk about future events and releases we are excited to present to players. So this last thing was this, them reminding us that they weren't idle over the first four months of the year while we were waiting for the producer's letter. Um, he says, Now that virtue changes are in place and the Minus Morgul expansion is behind us, we plan to update legendary items in 2020. Yay! Um, I think that's my Kermit the Muppet. Yay! We know players want changes to how these items advance. Yes, okay, so they've got the feedback. Uh, 778 scrolls of empowerment later. Uh, Minus Tirith daily, 47 days, etc., etc., etc. Back to the letter. To have more opportunity to improve their items in later content, we are also looking at more substantial changes for later in the year. It's important for us that the players feel that the progress on the legendary items carries forward into the new system. Yes, people that have spent the time to grind these things should get credit reflected. Correct. Um, what comes to mind is basically how they work the virtue system. For people that had spent the time to do all those deeds, to work up their virtues, to be able to get a credit with a passive bonus coming out of all the other virtues, uh, to feel like it was those were worth accomplishing, was a great move by them. Um, you know, it brings to mind that if they really wanted to be radical, I could see a legendary item system enhancement similar in structure to the virtues system. You know, what if instead of a virtues panel? You had a list of all the legacies and or ways that your item can be improved, similar to the UI that's available in the Virtue system, and you could steer uh, points that you generated, legendary, you know, not XP necessarily, maybe some other kind of coin, let's call it an LI, you know, advancement coin, or LIC, LIAC. And um, you could steer the points into increasing your DPS or your passive bonuses or your legacy tiers. Um, and uh, you know maybe then you don't have to choose six. You could have all 10 or all 12 and have them at varying levels of, uh, or of improvement based on how far you've advanced them. So it takes a little bit out of the specialization of your character that you could potentially look at, but you know, maybe it's something where your primary stats can be advanced up to, you know, more significantly and your other stats can be uh, advanced more passively. There's there's ways to think about it that could get around that. Uh, one thing I know about this revamp of the LI system, is, though, is not everyone is going to be thrilled. And it's quite possible that no one will. <laughs> Back to the letter. Our first update in the late spring unveils a key theme for 2020. War between the dwarves and orcs. Yes. Baruch Kazad! Kazad, I'm in you! Uh, we will be debuting our new Kazad, I'm in you. That kind of sounds like you're ordering off the menu, doesn't it? A little bit? Uh, we will be debuting our new major storyline called The Legacy of Durin and the Trials of the Dwarves. This storyline will continue throughout the year as we weave toward 2021 and visit the ancient dwarf stronghold of Gundabad. Um, I'm excited. This is the the first option that I had as far as things that I uh, was interested in. Boy, the music really crescendoing here in the Wells of Langflood. Kind of turned down a little bit. Um, yeah, fine by me. Dwarves and Gunderbad, my vote anyway. And dwarves are awesome. 
The Legend of Durin and the Trials of Dwar storyline will be free to all players, and our regular updates will both supplement the main story and tell their own tales. Our late spring update, called Mists of Wilderland, will take players to the Wells of Langflood, we're there now, where they will join Durin's line to begin the march to retake Dwarf lands. In addition, a small 12-person raid will be released in the fall. Okay, so... My first inclination is, um, I like these different dwarf factions they're bringing into play. Uh, the Stout Axes, the Zelruka, and Durin's line, the Longbeards. And don't forget the Dowerhands out there. Uh, really reinforcing the different family lines of the dwarves that have evolved over the ages. And uh, the different dwarf fathers that emerged from the stone. And, um, you know, I think it hints at the fact that... If uh, the current Durin is Durin Reborn, um, that it will be, uh, you know, his goal to reunite all the different lines of the dwarves. And that will be darn, you know, required if we're really going to reclaim their Hall of Gundabad and maybe even find the Fargoth Hall. A uh, small 12-person relayed released in the fall. Uh, I assume that means something like the Watcher or the Turtle or Thorog, where it's a run-in and one giant boss hit it kind of a thing um i like those as a change of pace every now and again i think that's fine to throw those in as a sorbet to cleanse the palate after a more detailed raid like remmer chant i'm really interested to see how much of this territory is actually grounded in lore versus created by ssg you know we're getting to the fringes of the lore now and there's still lots of hints uh in and uh pieces around the books but a little more time a little more area for ssg to to stretch their wings so i'll be looking for our lore specialist to tell us what is from the books and what is ssg creation uh, as we're starting to get off of what is typically considered the middle earth map back to the letter in the early summer we'll see our first challenge league which is a new temporary server that allows players to fight each other for honor with the defeated required to retreat from the battlefield rally themselves and move back into the world to continue the fight uh, as divided by the sons of elrond eladan oral here have begun a discussion with perhaps too much pride and are arguing about which of them dies more easily in the forge of brunin oh, i'm sorry i just put that in myself uh take up the banner of either eladan or Elrond and venture forth to complete deeds challenge heroes that align with your rival so um pvp but between P's and not MP's. Um, I think this is interesting. It sounds like SSG is trying to uh, take advantage of the craze that is out there for um, you know PvP games like an Overwatch or a Fortnite or uh, you know other battle royale type formats. Um, Yeah, so in the past, obviously, we've only ever had the um, the ability to challenge each other to uh, duels one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. So a fellowship versus fellowship or a raid versus raid PvP could be fun, uh, could be interesting. Uh, the problem I have with it... Let me see if I talk about this a little bit later. Uh, they talk about having a leaderboard and who will you rush through, you know. Where will the fights be, first of all? Uh, also in the Entenmores? Maybe the Osgiliath map, which goes unused? Uh, Forest of Mirkwood? How about in the Grey Havens? Um, 
interesting options that could be available. What I don't like is, you know, here's the one thing I think is positive, right? When you do PvP battle, you don't have to worry about the monsters getting out of balance with the player characters, right? That's the biggest struggle they have with uh, PvP right now is that every time a new release comes out and the characters get geared up, they can't balance the monsters or it takes too much effort to balance the monster players up to make it a reasonable challenge so that the PvP is fun. Um, whereas the player characters would be auto-balanced uh, you know, by definition, although certainly there are class imbalances in a PvP scenario. You know, I don't want to see um, you know, 12 hunters going out because no one's interested in a guard having a utility in a PvP role. So, um, so that's something I think they'd have to figure out how to deal with. You know, no one wants to be a captain or a guard fighting a Berg necessarily. Um, but, uh, you know, again, could be interesting. I think, you know, some of the hunters out there could like probably three shot a guard though. So... <laughs> Um, you know, with their with the the power they have in their DPS. So uh, I think there are some problems and there are some challenge, you know, some positives around that approach. But what I like is that they're willing to try new things uh, to keep the game interesting and keep things moving along. Also, this summer we are inviting you to one of Miller's most historic moments: the wedding of Aragorn and Arwen. Prestigious guests have traveled vast distances to bless the new king. And there is a need for people to support the celebration. Oh boy, here we go. Start the Mr. Belvedere music as we uh, hurry around, uh, you know, assembling party favors for the guests uh, that are spread all over Minas Tirith. Uh, yeah, I'm worried about that. Additionally, artisans are hard at work creating their finest goods and fashions for the wedding, and guests can expect to look their best for the event. Yes, there will be cosmetics to earn for your trials. Great, and I'm sure many people will be interested in those. It'd be kind of fun to have the ability to get a wedding dress in game or a tux or you know formal wear for our peers uh, when they're staging staging weddings in the game. That would be a uh, kind of kind of fun, I think, to see player characters with with uh, with real wedding, uh, you know, maybe even bridesmaids dresses. <laughs> Are they diable? Um, in addition, we are unveiling a new seasonal festival event for Lord of the Rings. So, the wedding of Arwen and Aragorn. I'm not that excited about it. Um, I think it, the biggest significance is they know some people are looking forward to it. It's a big part of the story. They kind of have to get it out of the way if they want to move on to the storyline eventually in, you know, Harad or Run, um, you know, or... or or, or even Umbar or places east because we know Aragorn and uh, a lot of his captains go off to, f to fight some of those wars eventually but they obviously can't do it until the wedding is behind them so um, what I'm looking forward to is Aragorn's bachelor party in addition we are unveiling a new seasonal uh, festival event for Lord of the Rings which commemorates weddings and merriment throughout Middle Earth featuring a unique festival questing area within Minas Tirith this is pretty cool. Minas Tirith is now underused for how much time and effort went into lovingly creating it. So, you know, having a spawn point where people go in and maybe hang around in the Blue Theater and do festival questing events or whatever the case may be, uh, I think is a good move. In the fall, we will see a new type of mega update, the War of the Three Peaks, which will provide new content for characters of all levels. Durin's line begins war with the orcs as they prepare to advance to Gundabad. Um, this continues the legacy of Durin's storyline, but also includes other endgame content. 
This update will also open up to a new area in the front lines of the war that will allow any character, regardless of level, to come to Durin's aid. While open, players will complete missions, earn favor of both Durin's Lion, Dwarf, Artisans, and Smiths, and support the war effort. So, please don't say big battles. Please don't say big battles. Please don't. No, no I'm just kidding. If, you know, if they can continue to improve the types of big battles available and look at the strengths of it and minimize the weaknesses, I'm okay with new big battles in the game. But this actually so it sounds more like a public instance of some kind, with battles always ranging kind of on a dynamic loop. Um, you know, it brings to mind maybe something along the lines of, you know, hey, other endgame content is worth a try. I know the track record here is not perfect. Um, you know, they've introduced major new systems to the game and then left them fallow for long periods of time in certain circumstances. But if you don't stagnate, your player base dies off. So I applaud them trying new things. Uh, this year we'll be adding a new premium housing area to the game in Rohan. Woohoo! Featuring such things as stable hooks and custom lighting hooks. This is what people really care about. Yeah. So where are they going to be? I, I think there's a... I, I can see a Dunharrow location and maybe Aldberg. Or that destroyed town rebuilt, maybe Martin, outside of Helm's Deep, would be a good location for it. The custom lighting hooks sound cool. I'm still hoping the stable can hold all of my horses. I've got, like, what, I don't know, 150 of them or 176, I don't know. But it would be cool if they could do the horses kind of randomly on a display rotation if necessary. Lastly, this fall, we'll also see a new legendary server. We're looking forward to adding new challenges and gameplay experiences for this new server. In our current vision for the server, Sauron will play a more active role in punishing heroes who defy his will. At times during play, the Eye of Sauron will open, inspiring all the evil in the world to rally and rise to his dark challenge. Enemies will become far more dangerous. However, when the Eye is open, your character will rise to the challenge and deliver greatly increased damage in defiance of the Dark Lord. Beware when the Eye of Sauron is open. Um, biggest question on this is why? Are they going to get a new revenue source out of this? Another, you know, encouragement for people to go to VIP? I'm kind of picturing it as maybe, uh, what's the game? Um, there was another MMO that had a Rift that had events where, like, the Rift would open and things would come out and you'd have to group up with people to fight back the monsters coming out of the Rift. So I'm kind of picturing that kind of scenario. But what's the point if every once in a while the mobs get stronger, but when that happens, you do too? <laughs> so the mob's stronger, but you are stronger? Why not just make you both the same level? So it's like, why? <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> why make the mob stronger if you're stronger too? That doesn't seem to make much sense to me. But I would hope you'd have to group up to fight these monsters. Uh, so maybe there's some kind of group dynamic involved with it. Um... So, and they also mentioned they're not going to neglect the legendary experience, and then there'll be new content on those servers as well. I assume Helm's Deep will be coming out uh, in about a couple months' time in the next month or two. Um, finally, we'll round out the year with an update to the Yuletide Festival with new quests, activities, and rewards. Those are sorely needed. Uh, there's room in Winter Home for more, and I hope they take advantage of it. We're excited for the new year and appreciate you taking the journey with us. So, I got to say, between the the player versus player challenge and the end game content with the dwarves in the north and the eye of sauron legendary server challenge 
it sounds a little bit to me like they're throwing a bunch of stuff against the wall and waiting to see what'll stick. Um, so I hope they've thought this through and uh, that all three get the support they need to be successful. But actually, realistically, I hope at least one of them is fun uh, so that we've got something to do. Um, besides that, I'm looking forward to Gundabad and the dwarves and um, hoping it's, um, you know, they make it a space uh, that is as epic underground, uh, you know, along the lines of, you know, maybe not the scope and scale of Moria, but something along those lines as much as they can get into the game, I think would be fun. So. That is the producer's letter for 2020, and my thoughts on it. Uh, drop me a line. Let me know if you're looking forward to it, if you're excited by some of the things that were released. Uh, hopefully a lot of these things are already in progress, given that it's May. But uh, be that as it may, uh, it's time for me to close up shot. I'm almost out of uh, quiff. Ale, which means... We ran out of time. Winter came. It's time for Blessed Relief. I'm officially declaring the 104th episode of LTB Done and Dusted. As always, we'd love to hear your plaudits, feedback, rants, diatribes, and most of all, your your critique, if it's constructive. You can contact me at Braggson of Balan at Gmail. That's Bragg with two A's. The second A stands for alimony, which I will not pay. Facebook or Twitter at Braggson of Balan or my website at lightthebeacons.com where you can post comments directly on my podcast. Please take the time to create an iTunes review like Funky Us 081 did. If you don't want to hear me keep saying Funky Us 081, uh, I would appreciate it. If your comments incite me to forsake my legendary dwarven apathy, I will head north to Gundabad. Once again, I hope you laughed either at or with me. I hope you might have learned at least a little something you didn't know before, or perhaps looked at the game with a slightly different perspective. Most of all, I hope you enjoy your week in Middle Earth, and I hope it's providing you the getaway that you need in these dark times we don't get to choose what we do in these dark times all we get to do is play a bunch of lotro this is brag the son of balan reminding you that if it ain't baruch don't fix it and remember the next time you take on the isengard lightning wing without remembering your rubber wetsuit don't despair just keep lighting those beacons good to be back talking to you all take care that was an extra bonus beacon